You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. Now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. At Kennedy Space Center, Launch Complex 39, there was an item known as a swing arm the gaseous oxygen vent arm positioned a hood, often called the beanie cap, over the top of the external tank, nose cone during the fueling. Heated gaseous nitrogen was used to remove the extremely cold gaseous oxygen that normally vented out of the external tank. This prevented the formation of ice that could fall and damage the shuttle. The hydrogen vent line axis arm mated the external tank, ground umbilical carrier plate to the launch pad hydrogen vent line. The ground umbilical carrier plate provided support for plumbing and cables, called umbilicals, that transferred fluids, gases, and electrical signals between the two pieces of equipment. While the ET or the external tank, was being refueled, hazardous gas was vented from an internal hydrogen tank through the ground umbilical carrier plate, out of vent line to a flare stack where it was burned off at a safe distance. Sensors at the GUCP measured gas levels. The ground umbilical carrier plate was redesigned after leaks created scrubs of STS-127 and were also detected during the attempts to launch STS-119 and STS-133. The ground umbilical carrier plate released from the external tank at launch and fell away with a curtain of water sprayed across it for protections from flares. In an emergency, the launch complex used a slide wire escape basket system for quick evacuation. Assisted by members of the closeout team, 
the crew would leave the orbiter and ride an emergency basket to the ground at speeds reaching up to 55 miles per hour. From there, the crew took shelter in a bunker. A modified M113 armored personnel carrier could carry injured astronauts away from the complex to safety. During the launch of Discovery on STS-124 on May 31st, 2008, the pad at 39A suffered extensive damage, in particular to the concrete trench used to deflect the SRB's flames. The subsequent mishap investigation found that the damage was the result of carbonation of epoxy and corrosion of steel anchors, which held the refractory bricks in the trench in place. These have been exasperated by the fact that the hydrochloric acid is an exhaust byproduct of the solid rocket boosters. After the launch of Skylab in 1973, Pad 39A was reconfigured for the Space Shuttle. With shuttle launches beginning in 1981, with STS-1 flown by the Space Shuttle Columbia, after Apollo 10, Pad 39B was kept as a backup launch facility in the case of destruction of 39A, but saw service for all three Skylab missions, the Apollo-Soyuz test flight, and a contingency Skylab rescue flight that never became necessary. After the Apollo-Soyuz test project, 39B was reconfigured similarly to 39A, but due to additional modifications, mainly to allow the facility to service a modified Centaur-G upper stage, along with budgetary restraints. It was not ready until 1986, and the first shuttle flight to use it was STS-51L, which ended with the Challenger disaster. The first return to flight mission, STS-26, launched from 39B. The last shuttle launch from Pad 39B was the nighttime launch of STS-116 on December 9, 2006 to support the final shuttle mission to the Hubble Space Telescope. STS-125 launched from Pad 39A in May 2009. Endeavour was placed on 39B if needed to launch the STS-400 rescue mission. Modifications were made to 39B in the meantime, including installation of three new 600-foot-tall lighting mass towers, similar to those used on Atlas V and Delta IV launch pads at nearby Cape Canaveral and removal of the existing single lighting mast and crane assembly, which dated back to the Apollo program. After the completion of STS-125, Launchpad 39B was converted for the single test flight of the Constellation program, Ares-1X, from Pad 39B on October 28, 2009. 
with the retirement of the shuttle in 2011 and the cancellation of the Constellation program in 2010, the future of Launch Pad 39B and 39A and 39C were uncertain. By early 2011, NASA began informal discussions on the use of the pads and facilities by private companies to fly missions for commercial space market, culminating in a 20-year lease agreement with the SpaceX Corporation for Pad 39A. Just like the first 24 shuttle flights, Pad 39A supported the final manifested shuttle flights, starting with STS-117 in June 2007, until the retirement of the shuttle fleet in July 2011. Prior to the SpaceX leaks agreement, the pad remained as it was when Atlantis launched on its final shuttle mission on July 8, 2011, complete with a mobile launcher platform. Talks for use of the pad were underway between NASA and Space Florida, the state of Florida's economic development agency, as early as 2011. But no deal materialized by 2012, and NASA then pursued other options for removing the pad from the federal government inventory. By early 2013, NASA publicly announced that it would allow commercial launch providers to lease Pad 39A and followed that in May 2013 with a formal solicitation for proposals for commercial use of Launch Pad 39A. There were two competing bids for the commercial use of the launch complex. SpaceX submitted a bid for exclusive use of the launch complex while Jeff Bezio's Blue Origin submitted a bid for shared non-exclusive use of the complex, such that the launch pad would interface with multiple vehicles and costs could be shared over the long term. One potential shared user in the Blue Origin plan was United Launch Alliance. Prior to completion of the bid period, and prior to any public announcement by NASA of the results of the process, Blue Origin filed a protest with the U.S. General Accounting Office over what it says is a plan by NASA to award an exclusive commercial lease to SpaceX for use of the mothball Space Shuttle Launch Pad 39A. NASA had planned to complete the bid award and to have the pad transferred by October 1st, 2013, but the protest will delay any decision until the General Accounting Office reaches a decision expected by mid-December. On December 12th, 2013, the GAO denied the protest and sided with NASA, which argued that the solicitation contains no preferences on the use of the facility as multi-use or single-use. The solicitation document merely asks bidders to explain their reasons for selecting one approach instead of the other 
and how they would manage the facility. The next day, on December 13, 2013, NASA announced that they had selected SpaceX as the new commercial tenant. SpaceX signed the lease agreement on April 14, 2014. They had been given a 20-year exclusive lease of Pad 39A. SpaceX plans to launch their Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy from the pad and build a new hangar near it. Elon Musk, CEO of SpaceX, has stated that he wants to shift most of their NASA launches to Pad 39A, including commercial cargo and crew missions to the International Space Station. As of 2015, Launch Complex 39 is in the midst of substantial modification to prepare for new uses with new vehicles. SpaceX has leased the launch pad 39A for use with both Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy, while launch pad 39B, the vehicle assembly building, and crawlerway are being readied for launches of the government-owned Space Launch System. On April 14, 2014, the privately owned launch service company SpaceX signed a 20-year lease for Launch Pad 39A. The pad is currently being modified to support launches of both Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy launch vehicles, which included the construction of a horizontal integration facility, similar to that used at existing SpaceX lease facilities at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station and Vandenberg Air Force Base. This is a marked difference from the vertical integration process used by NASA's own Apollo and Space Shuttle vehicles at Launch Complex 39. Additionally, new instrumentation and control systems will be installed and substantial new plumbing will be added for a variety of rocket liquids and gases. In 2015, SpaceX built a large horizontal integration facility just outside the perimeter of the existing launch pad in order to hose, house both the Falcon 9 and the Falcon Heavy rockets, and their associated hardware and payloads during processing. Both launch vehicles will be transported from the horizontal integration facility to the launch pad aboard a transporter erector, which will ride on rails up to the former crawlerway path. Also in 2015, the launch mount for the Heavy Falcon was constructed on Pad 39A over the existing infrastructure. The work on both the horizontal integration facility building and the new pad were substantially complete by the year 2015. A rollout test of the new transporter erector was conducted in November 2015. 
SpaceX indicated in February 2016 that they had completed and activated Launch Complex 39A, but still has more work yet to do to support crewed flights. And no SpaceX launches have yet occurred from Pad 39A. SpaceX originally planned to be ready to accomplish the first launch at Pad 39A, a Falcon Heavy, as early as 2015. As they had architects and engineers working on the new design and modifications since 2013. By late 2014, a preliminary date for a wet dress rehearsal of the Falcon Heavy was set for no earlier than July 1, 2015. Due to a failure in the June 2015 Falcon 9 launch, SpaceX had to delay launching the Falcon Heavy in order to focus on the Falcon 9's failure investigation and its return to flight. As of February 2016, the first flight of the Falcon Heavy was expected in the second quarter of 2016. With the busy 2016 Falcon 9 launch manifest, it is no longer clear Falcon Heavy will be the first vehicle to launch from Pad 39A, or if one or more Falcon 9 missions may precede a late 2016 Falcon Heavy launch. In March 2016, SpaceX COO Gwyn Shotwell indicated that although SpaceX does not need to use Launch Complex 39A to meet the busy 2016 Falcon 9 launch manifest, she believes that they probably will launch a Falcon 9, probably SES-10, from 39A prior to the first Falcon Heavy launch. The Heavy launch is now slated for no earlier than December 2016. However, after the explosion of a Falcon 9 at Launch Complex 40 during a fueling operation on September 1, 2016, SpaceX announced that Launch Complex 39A will be used for its East Coast Falcon 9 launches when the new facility is completed, expected to be in November, and after an FAA-supervised review of the accident and possible corrective actions are completed. SpaceX intends to utilize the fixed service structure of Pad 39A launch towers and will extend it above its existing 350 feet height, but will not need the rotating service structure and remove it. Initial plans in 2014 called for leaving the rotating service structure in place until after the first Falcon Heavy launch. However, plans were changed and work on the rotating service structure takedown began in February 2016. NASA has already removed the orbiter servicing arm and white room by which astronauts entered the space shuttle. SpaceX indicated in late 2014 that no additional levels to the fixed service structure would be added in the near term. 
SpaceX plans to later add at least two additional levels to the face fixed service structure and will utilize the FSS for providing crew access for the Dragon V2 launches. Launch vehicles will be assembled horizontally in a hangar near the pad, transferred to the pad, and then lifted atop a launch platform for the remainder of the launch prep and liftoff. For military missions from pad 39A, payloads will be vertically integrated as that is required per launch contract with the U.S. Air Force. A hammerhead crane will be added to the FSS in order to support military requirements for vertical payload integration. Pad 39A will be used to host launches of astronauts on the crewed version of the Dragon space capsule in a public-private partnership with NASA. The NASA plan as of April 2014 calls for the first NASA crewed missions in 2017. SpaceX intends to add a crew gantry access arm and white room to allow for crew and cargo ingress to the vehicle. The existing space shuttle evacuation slide wire basket system will also be repurposed to provide a safe emergency egress for the Dragon crew in the event of an emergency on the pad that does not necessi necessitate using the cruise Dragon's launch abort system. Now let's move over to launch pad 39B. Since the Ares 1X flight, NASA proceeded with plans to strip 39B of its flight service structure, returning the location to an Apollo-like clean pad design for the first time since 1977. This approach will make the pad available to multiple types of vehicles which arrive at the pad with service structures on the mobile launcher platform as opposed to custom structures on the pad. The liquid hyd hydrogen and the liquid oxygen and water tanks used for the sound suppression system are the only structures left from the space shuttle era. As of April 2015, NASA had one Space Launch System mission scheduled in late 2018 and a second one in 2021. As of June 2012, repairs and modifications to selected facility systems at Launch Complex 39B for Space Launch System processing and launch operations are finishing the first phase of a five-phase project. The second phase of this project is currently budgeted at $89.2 million, $228.5 million in fiscal year 2013. March 2015, Pad 39B was undergoing modifications to the catacomb roof structure so that it can handle the loads from the Space Launch System Block 1B rocket increasing the load capacity to support the crawler transporter 
and vertical rocket from 21 million to 25.5 million pounds in 2014. A NASA announced that it would make the Pad 39B available to commercial users during times when it was not needed by the Space Launch System. Launch Pad 39C is a new facility for smaller launch vehicles built in 2015 within the Launch Complex 39B perimeter. Construction of Launch Pad 39C began in January 2015 and was completed in June 2015. Kennedy Space Center Director Robert D. Cabana and representatives from the Ground System Development and Operations Program and the Center Planning and Development and Engineering Directorates marked the completion of the new pad during a ribbon-cutting ceremony on July 17, 2015. As America's premier spaceport, we're always looking for new and innovative ways to meet America's launch needs. And one area that was missing was small-class payloads. Robert D. Cabana said, Using 21st century funds, we built Pad 39C. Ground System Development and Operations oversaw the project and was working with the Center Planning and Development to grow commercial space efforts at Kennedy. Pad 39C is the latest addition to our portfolio of launch pads, said the CPD director. The small class market is here. The demand for that kind of launcher is increasing. The key here is this is really what a launch site for a small class launcher needs to look like. The concrete pad measures about 50 feet wide by about 100 feet long and could support the combined weight of a fueled launch vehicle, payload, and customer-provided launch mount up to about 132,000 pounds and an umbilical tower structure, fluid lines, cables and umbilical arms weighing up to about 47,000 pounds. NASA also developed a universal propellant servicing system to provide liquid oxygen and liquid methane fueling capabilities for a variety of small rocket classes. This is absolutely great to designate a new pad within the confines of Pad 39B. I'm looking forward to having customers here in the not too distant futures, making use of this outstanding facility, Robert D. Cabana said. Kennedy Space Center's newest launch pad, designated 39C, is designed to accommodate small class vehicles. Located in the southeast area of the Launch Complex 39B perimeter, this new concrete pad measures about 50 feet wide 
and 100 feet long. Launch Pet Complex 39C will serve as a multiple purpose site, allowing companies to test vehicles and capabilities in the smaller class of rockets, making it more affordable for smaller companies to break in the commercial spaceflight market. And as part of this capability, NASA developed a universal propellant servicing system which can provide liquid oxygen and liquid methane fueling capabilities for a variety of small class rockets. This system is slated for operational readiness in the summer of 2016. With the addition of Launch Complex 39C, Kennedy Space Center can offer the following processing and launching features for companies working with small class vehicles. Maximum thrust up to 200,000 pounds. These facilities are processing facilities, for example, the vehicle assembly building, vehicle payload transportation, flatbed trucks, tugs, from irrigation facility to pad, a launch site, a universal propellant servicing system with liquid oxygen and liquid methane, and a launch control center and a mobile command center of operation. As part of the promoting commercial space industry growth in an area and the overall center as a multi-user spaceport, Kennedy Space Center leases some of its properties. Here are some of the major examples. Exploration Park to multiple users in partnership with Space Florida. Shuttle landing facility to Space Florida who contracts with private companies. But everybody's favorite place at the Kennedy Space Center is the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. It is the visitor center at NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida. It features exhibits and displays historic spacecraft and memorabilia, shows two IMAX theaters and a a range of bus tours of the spaceport and the shuttle launch experience, a simulated ride into space. It also encompasses the separate Apollo Saturn V Center and the United States Astronauts Hall of Fame. There were 1.5 million visitors in 2009 and it has 700 employees. The complex had its beginning in 1960s in a small trailer containing simple displays on card tables. By 1964, more than 250,000 self-guided car tours permitted between 1 and 4 p.m. on Sundays at the urging of U.S. Representative Olin Teague of Texas were seen at Kennedy Space Center. In 1965, KSC director Kurt H. Debus was authorized to spend $2 million on a full-scale visitor center. 
Spaceport USA, as it was soon titled, hosted 500,000 visitors in 1967, its first year, and one million by 1969. Even during the gap between the Apollo and the space shuttle programs, attendance remained at over one million guests, and it ranked as the fifth most popular tourist attraction in Florida. When nearby Walt Disney World opened in 1971, visitor center attendance increased by 30%, but the public was often disappointed by the comparative lack of polish at, at KSC's tourist facilities. Existing displays were largely made up of trade show exhibits donated by NASA contractors. Later that year, a 2.3 million upgrade of the visitor's complex was begun with added focus on the benefits of space exploration, along with the existing focus on human space exploration. In 1995, Delaware North Companies was selected to operate the visitor center. Since then, the facility has been entirely self-supporting and receives no taxpayer or government funding. NASA renewed the contract with Delaware North Companies through May 2020 with an option to extend the contract through 2030. Included in the base admission is a tour bus transportation to an observation platform at Lawrence Complex 39, which provides unobstructed views of both launch pads and the surrounding KSC property and the Apollo Saturn V Center. It also includes admission to the Astronaut Hall of Fame, six miles to the west. The Apollo Saturn V Center, located six miles north, is a large museum built around its centerpiece exhibit, a restored Saturn V launch vehicle, and features other space-related exhibits, including an Apollo capsule, Two theaters allow the visitor to relive the parts of the Apollo program. One simulation simulates the environment inside an Apollo firing room during an Apollo launch, and another simulates, simulates the Apollo 11 moon landing. The tour formally included the space station processing facility, where modules for the International Space Station were tested. The visitor complex includes two facilities run by the Astronauts Memorial Foundation. The most visible of these is the Space Mirror Memorial, also known as the Astronaut Memorial, a huge black granite mirror through engraved with the names of all astronauts who have died in the line of duty. Elsewhere on the visitor complex grounds is the Foundation Center for Space Education which includes a resource center for teachers, among other facilities, and the Kurt DeBus Conference Center. The early space exploration houses several displays of artifacts. Among them is a Gemini 9A spacecraft, as well as a recreation of the Mercury Control Center, using consoles and furniture relocated from the original building at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. 
These were previously housed in the Mission Mercury Mission Control Facility, which was on the National Register of Historic Places. But it was demolished in 2010 due to concerns about asbestos and the estimated $5 million cost to renovate the building after 40 years of exposure to salt air. The complex continues updating shows and attractions. In 1999, the attraction Robot Scouts opened as a walkthrough exhibit highlighting NASA's unmanned planetary robot probes. The attraction, designed originally by award-winning experienced designer Bob Rogers and the design team from BRC Imagination Arts, explores how robots help to pave the way for human spaceflight. The shuttle launch experience, an attraction built around a motion control ride simulating a shuttle launch, opened in May 2007 and is hosted by then-astronaut, now NASA Administrator, Charlie Bolden. In 2010, the attraction Exploration Space, Explorers Wanted, also designed by BRC Imagination Arts, functions as a part of Real-Time Mission Briefing Center, part Immersive Experience, and part Futuristic Recruitment Center. The attraction, which employs large-scale video projections, dimensional exhibits, and interactive experiences, is designed to immerse visitors in the adventure and the unsolved challenges of future space exploration. Twice an hour, the entire attraction space becomes an immersive show environment, hosting a multi-screen live presentation with updatable and dynamic media content. The opening in 2010 at the Visitor's Complex was a live show based on Star Trek, mostly the 2009 motion picture. On March 22, 2013, the complex opened Angry Birds Space Encounter, an interactive attraction based on the popular game Angry Birds. The U.S. Astronaut Hall of Fame. The United States Astronaut Hall of Fame, located six miles west on Highway 405 from the main visitor complex on the mainland south of Titusville, Florida, is part of the overall visitor complex. The Hall of Fame is a museum featuring the world's largest collection of personal astronaut memorabilia. The Hall of Fame was previously owned and operated by the U.S. Space Camp Foundation, but was purchased at auction by the Delaware North Park Services in September 2002 on behalf of NASA, and the property was added to the KSC Visitor Complex. It reopened December 14, 2002. The Hall of Fame is now closed and the artifacts inside are in the process of being moved to the visitor complex. The rocket garden between the buildings which house the visitor complex entrance and the debus center 
is an outdoor display of historic rockets that put Americans and satellites in space. Visitors can walk up to and around the base of rockets. The Mercury, Redstone, Mercury Atlas, and Titan II rockets launched astronauts and the Juno 1, Juno 2, Thor Delta, and Atlas Agena rockets launched satellites from Cape Canaveral. These are mounted upright, whereas the largest rockets, a Saturn 1B, is mounted on its side. The Saturn 1B rockets launched the Apollo Command Service Modules into the Earth orbit for Apollo, Skylab, and the Apollo Soyuz test project. The Juno 1 on display is painted with the serial numbers EUE, like the one that launched the first US satellite, Explorer 1. A Juno 2 launched from the first American probe to escape Earth gravity and fly past the moon. Atlas Agena rockets launched early probes to the moon, Venus, and Mars, as well as the Agena target vehicles used in rendezvous and docking by Gemini spacecraft, and a necessary technique for the following Apollo missions. The Thor Delta was one of the most reliable and frequently used launch vehicles. The Titan II on display is a refurbished Air Force ICBM with a replica Gemini spacecraft painted to resemble the Gemini 3 booster. It was rescued from the Arizona Boneyard and erected in 2010 to replace the deteriorating mock-up composed of two first stages which had been on display for more than 20 years. The Saturn 1B on display is SA-209 which was designated for a possible Skylab rescue mission. The garden also features mock-ups of capsules from Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo programs that visitors can get in, and the walkway and the white room that Apollo astronauts use to access their capsules from the launch tower at 39A. Attached to the white room, is a command module trainer, a F-1 rocket engine that powered the first stage of the Saturn V is also on display. The Apollo Saturn V Center. The Apollo Saturn V Center is located north-northwest of Launch Complex 39 on the Kennedy Parkway North near Shuttle Landing Facility and is only accessible to visitors by bus tours from the visitor's complex. The center, which opened December 17, 1996, was designed by award-winning experienced designer Bob Rogers and the design team at BRC Imagination Arts for NASA and Delaware North Companies. The building was built to house a restored Saturn V launch vehicle and features other exhibits related to the Apollo program. 
until the structure was built. The Saturn V was displayed horizontally for many years outdoors, just south of the vehicle assembly building, and tour buses brought visitors to it. The rocket's first stage is SICT, a test stage, and the second, S2, and third stage, S4B, are from SA514, which would have been used for the canceled Apollo 19 mission. So basically, you're looking at Saturn V, the Apollo 19 mission. The inner stages between the first and the second stages, and between the second and third stages are not present. But the instrument unit is on display, showing the internal equipment. The boosters have been repainted to resemble Apollo 11's Saturn V. Its command module is the boilerplate BP-30. Other large exhibits include the Apollo 14 command module, an unused Apollo command service module, CSM-119, and an unused lunar module, Lunar Module 9. CSM-19 was designated for a possible Skylab rescue mission and as a backup for the Apollo-Soyuz test project. Lunar Module 9 was originally scheduled to be used on Apollo 15, but when missions after Apollo 17 were canceled, canceled a later lunar module, Lunar Module 10, was used instead. Also on display is a slice of the moon rock that visitors can touch. Other exhibits include a lunar module simulator, a replica of a lunar rover, a variety of spacesuits. Alan Shepard's Corvette, a piece of Apollo 13's lunar module returned by the astronauts, a tool cart, the modular experiment transporter, like the one used by on the moon by Apollo 14, a van used to carry astronauts to the launch pad, and a large cutaway scale model of the Saturn V. Two theaters allow visitors to relive part of the Apollo program. One simulates the environment inside an Apollo-era firing room during the launch of Apollo 8, and the other simulates the Apollo 11 landing. In 2010, the center announced a $100 million plan to house a retired shuttle orbiter in a 10-story, 64,000-square-foot facility. On April 12, 2011, the 30th anniversary of the launch of the STS-1, NASA announced that Atlantis would be provided to the visitor center for display after its last flight on STS-135 and subsequent decommissioning. The exhibit officially opened on June 29, 2013. In May 1965, 
Kennedy Space Center had 7,000 employees and contractors move from rented space in Cocoa Beach to the new Merritt Island facilities. The peak numbers of persons working on the center was 26,000 in 1968. In 1970, President Nixon announced intent to reduce costs of space operations and major cuts occurred at Kennedy Space Center. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.